It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Out to the Sprint special guest line we go. Make it uh, Sprint. They make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability. From the Bleacher Report, he's our friend Howard Beck. Hi, Howard. How are you today? Hey, guys. I'm good. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. As you could imagine, uh, our community here, uh, jazz fans, struggling a little bit with the passing of uh, Jerry Sloan. What's uh, it, give us kind of the national NBA perspective on on Coach Sloan and his legacy in this league? I don't think it'd be much different than how you regard him there. I mean, he's a, a legend, universally respected among his peers, someone who a lot of folks around the league counted as a mentor and a role model and you know who you know listen the 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 90s jazz we just spent you know the last month plus immersed in the 90s watching the bulls documentary and that story of course could not be told and was not told um without the jazz and you know while they may have lost those two finals one we were reminded about just how close it was in game six and how how uh tough that team was to put away and two, the fact that the Jazz were as much a staple of the 90s as the Bulls were. And if you go back and you, you even just look at their year-by-year record and the, 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 how consistent of a presence they were as a contender in, in, in that conference, um, that's, that's all about three people. And I've said this all day in a number of, of you know, other interviews, that as much as you can't separate you know Jordan and Pippen from Phil Jackson and that those guys are kind of tied at the hip when you think about the 90s Bulls you cannot talk about the Jazz of Stockton and Malone without it being about Jerry Sloan as well and I think the three of them you know it it, it was the the, the perfect alignment of, of these three guys who were all incredibly tough and tenacious and you, you know that Jerry Sloan played a physical style when he was a player for the Bulls back in the 70s and that you know, you, as you guys know well, Malone and Stockton played a very physical, punishing brand of, of basketball too, and and so those three, I think, I think they just fit so well together that they all had that that kind of old school mentality and a, a, a you know a tenacity both physically and mentally, and you know, um, and beneath that, you know, while while Jerry Sloan certainly had a bit of that kind of crusty exterior and, and you know, could mix it up with anybody, um, refs and uh, posing players sometimes and whoever else got in his way, um, he had a heart of gold beneath that and, you know, cared for his players and then obviously that community. And, you know, he's he was he was an icon uh, for sure. And I'll just one quick addition to, to all that before I forget or before we get off track. In the years that I was covering Phil Jackson when he was coaching the Lakers, Phil, who was never really embraced by the coaching fraternity, and Phil didn't really embrace the coaching fraternity or didn't see much use for it, um, he kind of carried himself apart. He always, always, always had high praise for Jerry Sloan and went out of his way to praise him and, and would say to us all the time every year when the postseason awards came around that it was a crime that Jerry Sloan had not won Coach of the Year. And I think he did some years after that. But... Um, 
you know, as I say, Phil, who is, is not, you know, not necessarily generous with the praise all the time for opposing coaches, uh, had in- incredibly high regard for Jerry Sloan. Uh, speaking of that, Howard, as the years have gone by, you covering the league and, and and observing so many really fine coaches, what characteristics stand out to you as being common among them? You know, I think the, the most important thing is communication. You know, everybody's got their principles, their systems, their playbooks, and you know they all crib from each other. They all develop, try to develop their own style. And so, you know, there's a certain kind of base level of, of X's and O's and, and, and scheme knowledge that you, you just have to have. And so I don't know that coaches rise and fall so much on their, their knowledge of the game and their play calling. It's all important, obviously. I think what separates the, the good coaches from the great coaches is their ability to connect with their players, to get what they always talk about as buy-in. You know, it doesn't matter what your system is. It could be this, the, the greatest offensive or defensive scheme in the world, but if, if you cannot get your players to all buy in, then you're screwed. You're, you're, you're just lost. Um, and so the, the best have a, a way of, of connecting with their players, getting buy-in, communicating with them, um, being able to connect both you know, professionally coach to player, but also personally. And it doesn't mean you have to be best of friends or talk about you know, the, the most personal things. It, it just means having an understanding and, and being able to kind of read your players to have a certain kind of empathy and, and to you know, let them know um, you know, if, if you've made a decision, you benched a guy, you, you know, do they, do they understand why they were benched? You know, if, if uh, you know, the, their, their role has changed, if, if anything, it, it's just the best of the, of the best coaches always have that, that great communication. And so to me, it's that, and, and you know, it's, it's always a balance too. Is, is the coach your boss or is he your, your fellow collaborator who's simply setting the, the stage for everybody to perform? And that's evolved over time. You know, you, you think about Sloan or Pop or Rick Carlisle, who are all part of this old school kind of uh, persona where they're more the overseer of all this. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, it is more that, that, you know, pre, that, that, that old school kind of sense of a coach as the boss and the, the players as, as, you know, following directions. Um, the more modern role, you know, uh, uh, version of this is more like what I would think of like with Steve Kerr um, or Brad Stevens, guys who are, they don't consider themselves, you know, the, 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 the boss of the players. They consider themselves just simply the person who is, they're like a, an orchestra conductor. They're just trying to uh, set the tempo, set the agenda, get everybody moving in the same direction and, and, and get the timing down. Right. And, so I, that's that's the way things have evolved, and you know, obviously, the, just the, the the relationship between coaches and players, I think, has changed quite a bit as, as players have have taken on much more influence in the league, um, and so it's 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 different now. I don't know that we'll ever see another Jerry Sloan, not only in the, in the way he coached, but also you know, obviously his longevity, because you just don't see that anymore. 
Well, kind of along that line, Howard, Howard Beck with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And you mentioned you can't, uh, you know, uh, mention John and Carl without Jerry. And, and this is more of an opinion than a question, but I want to get your reaction to it. I'm not so sure Jerry doesn't get enough credit for what he did after John and Carl from his first season after those two were gone to winning 42 games in a, with a team that probably should have won 20 to going back to the Western Conference Finals with John and Carl Light with Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer. Did he... I guess, mm, prove something with his coaching career after those two? I think it was important on some level. Um, it gets really hard in this league sometimes to separate out the success of a coach from the talent level of his players. And, you know, if you like a coach, you, you say, well, they, they're the ones who were, you know, instrumental in, in elevating a, a team. And if you are a suspect of a coach or skeptic of them, then you might say, oh, well, he just had good players. And so when you lose two icons like Stockton and Malone and you've got to kind of scrap your way back and, and, and you know, find pieces that fit and get the most out of them, and then you get back to the conference finals, like I, I, I remember that being a really big moment. And they'd been out of the playoffs for a few years at that point. And, you know, you know, while Darren Williams was, you know, really, really good, I mean, he's, he's not Obviously, as we now know, he's, he's not Hall of Fame bound. Carlos Boozer, not Hall of Fame bound. Um, you know, these guys were, were, were very solid players who, you know, along with the rest of that group, and, you know, I think, you know, Karolinka was part of that group, right? And then uh, maybe O'Kerr. Like, they, you know, it, it, it's, it's not a, a roster that would blow you away. And it's, it's certainly that in moments like that where you can see the, the value of a coach who understands how to get the best out of everybody and who had a system and and an approach that you had to buy into because you just saw, you know, 15, 20 years worth of it working. Um, And, you know, how are you you going to come in and, and, and push back against that? I love what you're talking about there, Howard, about the effect a coach can have on a team just by being who he is and by being who he has been. There's a story that Larry Miller used to love to tell about uh, about Sloan. Uh, he was he was upset at halftime of a game and he had scolded Greg Ostertag for some mental errors that he had made. And Larry said that. Uh, that Ostertag responded by throwing a bag of ice at Jerry Sloan's head. And Sloan saw the bag coming. He leaned his head to the side, and the ice flew by, hit the wall behind him, and exploded against the wall. And Larry said that Jerry, quote, just kept on talking like nothing had happened. (laughs) That's that's awesome. I mean, it's it's just like he knew in that moment what to do. I mean, I can only imagine if Ostertag's aim had been a little better, if his uh, if his aim had been uh, hadn't been more like his jump shot and the inaccurate. Uh, Jerry probably would have uh, grabbed him by the throat and thrown him to the floor. But uh, he knew in that moment that Greg was just just having acting out like a child almost, and he was going to react this way. And his team loved him for it. It's just one example. Yeah, no, that's a phenomenal story. Um, and Ostertag's probably lucky that he missed or that Jerry <laughs> Sloan didn't just decide to just, you know, uh, level him anyway. <laughs> 
Howard Beck is with us from the Bleacher Report and switching gears just a little bit, Howard, to, to actually talk a little basketball. Um, now that the wheels are starting to move a little bit with the NBA, we're hearing rumors and we're getting reports that uh, Orlando might be the location. Where are we on that journey to get NBA basketball back? Well, I, I never, you know, say that we should assume anything until the league has actually made it, you know, official. Um, I think Mark Lazary, the uh, the co-owner of, of the Milwaukee Bucks, was on CNBC yesterday, and I think I'm, I'm trying to remember. There's a lot of stuff that's all come out in the last few days, and so sometimes it all kind of merges. But um, it certainly sounded like he was uh, giving weight to the idea that the league might have two locations, one in Vegas and one in Orlando. So maybe you send the Western Conference teams to Vegas and the Eastern Conference teams to Orlando. And, you know, with the idea that, that teams will start practicing maybe sometime in June and, and resume play in, I think, mid to late July. But, you know, I think everything is subject to change. I think that, um, you know, the, the circumstances of this pandemic are, are constantly evolving, as we've discussed before. So I, I make no, you know, hard and fast assumptions or conclusions about when we'll see basketball again we also don't know for sure although the indications are that the league does want to have every team back for a certain number of games um I, that I, that to me is, is not a certainty yet uh, or is is not uh, you know we don't have the exact details about that yet and i still think that given where we are um just from a a uh, public health standpoint and the logistical standpoint, it still makes much more sense to me to, to limit this and, and have just the playoff teams resume and not involve the other teams that, you know, frankly, I don't know what the incentive is for teams that have been off for three months. If you're the Warriors, the Cavaliers, the Knicks, the Hawks, teams that have no shot at the playoffs, you're going to be off for two, three months, come back and have a training camp for three or four weeks so that you can play a few what amount to exhibition games and then go away again? Like, it doesn't even really make sense to me. Um, you know, it, it, there's there's no incentive there. I don't think those teams would even play their best play. Like, if I'm the Warriors, I'm not playing Steph or Clay if he's ready at that time. I, I Forget it. To play three, four, five games that, that are going to mean absolutely nothing, like, what's what's the point? And, you know, for everybody, you know, every, every team you bring in with all the associated support staff and coaches that's, and everybody's probably got to get tested every single day. Like, I, I just don't see the point of that other than the league wants to stage as many games as possible because that's how they recoup the money. So, uh, Howard, I'm not sure that the league has any more information than you do about what should happen. What Do you, do you expect a, a postseason that has a full best-of-seven series round after round, or do you think it will be sort of uh, truncated? Don't know. Um, again, too soon to say. I, I think that, again, that the league the league is going to opt for as many games as it can possibly fit in. And whether that's, you know, with regard to playoffs and, and how many games per series or whether that's regards, with regard to, to you know, potential play, uh, regular season games. Um, I would think they would prefer best of seven. Uh, I, 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 again, would advocate for the idea of, of, of doing this with the path of least resistance. Get this done in a in as expediently uh as possible and if that means best of five in the first round which hey wasn't that long ago that this league did best of five first round and actually it was a lot better because it was more suspenseful and you didn't have these drawn out first round one eight and two seven series that you already knew the outcome of um 
So I could see them doing that if they feel it's necessary, but I think they would prefer to stay consistent and, and go with the best of seven in every round. And also, again, they are facing massive losses of revenue as it is, so every game that you can play uh, is, is, is helping uh, to, to lessen the losses. Howard Beck from the Bleacher Report with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. How much more challenging did the Jazz potential road get without, uh, well, with the loss of Boyan Bogdanovich? Yeah, I mean, you guys know that's that's a blow. That's, that's a big blow. You know, somebody obviously a great shooter and can put the ball on the floor a little bit too, make some plays, um, you know, at a position of need. And, you know, it's – it's unfortunate. I mean, I think if you knew for sure on March 11th that it was going to take this long to get the NBA going again, maybe you would have opted for surgery immediately. But, you know, you just kind of have to play these things as, as they evolve. And, um, you know, if, if, uh, if the games are resuming in July and the Jazz are without Bogdanovich, that's, you know, that's absolutely a blow. Um, you know, can they overcome it? You know, we'll see. Um, but I, I don't. That's not a team that offensively had a lot of room for error. Howard, you live there in the city. Have you ever gotten to a point, even being a, sort of a student of, of the NBA and watching what's going on and covering it all? Have you ever reached a point where you just said, "Ah, bag it." <laughs> I, I, you know, I question whether or not we really should 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 do this. I don't, I don't know if it's you know this idea that we we need sports to come back. No, we don't. We I mean certainly we need you know places to reopen and jobs are are, are at stake and the economy. All of this stuff is is and, the, and sports is part of that. But the idea that we need sports somehow you know spiritually or otherwise. I mean you know come on we we can live without sports for a certain amount of months. It's not that critical. It's not get crazy here you know we all love it um we all you know you everybody on this call this in this conversation makes a living off of it um but i I, to me if it's weighing public health against you know uh whatever the, the the perceived value of sports is we have other ways to entertain ourselves in this world um and to pass the time and i i think you know whether it's sports or anything else it should come back when we all can agree that it's safe for it to come back. And if the NBA finds a road to, to do it and they feel like it's safe to do, I mean, I, you know, that, that's, that's fine. I'm sure they'll do the best job they can. But I also think it's almost inevitable that someone's going to catch the virus during the course of, of the resumed NBA season. And what does the NBA do when that happens? And, you know, is it, are they just isolating the one player? Because if they're isolating everybody who came into contact with that player – to be ultra safe, well, then you're shutting down all play for a while again. And, you know, they're just introducing a lot of other, you know, uh, variables and risk. And you're asking a lot of players and coaches to assume that risk to get the sport going again. Um, I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I'm just not convinced that they should. Well, Howard, as always, we appreciate uh, appreciate you and uh, dropping by every Friday. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks. Talk to you next week. Howard Beck, our good friend from the Bleacher Report. Uh, big thanks, thanks him for dropping by and giving us his perspective on Coach Sloan. And uh, did need to talk a little bit about the, the uh, latest NBA news with Howard, too.
Yeah. Have you heard that uh, it could be a split situation where teams from the West go to Vegas and teams from the East go to Orlando? I, I hadn't heard it that definitively. I had heard that that was a possibility and it might not be all Orlando. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I think it was somebody in LeBron James's camp who had raised concerns over Vegas because of distractions. <laughs> uh, but I never heard as definitively as Howard put it right there that, uh, that that's kind of what they're looking at. Hmm. Well, we'll have to see how it turns out. Uh, I think we will get an answer on this within the next couple of weeks. Isn't that what Adam Silver said? Yes, that's what he mm-hmm. said. And then you're, you're seeing little stuff leak out, like Spencer Dinwiddie had a tweet. What was that, Austin, yesterday? Talking about how he heard that the start date will be July 15th. I mean, we're just these little things uh, that may indicate that there there is at least a plan developing for the NBA. And then uh, when when Silver talked to the players, he said two to four weeks, right? So we're right in the middle of that. It was nice to hear Howard talk about Jerry Sloan. Because, and he yep. said that the feeling locally is no different than the feeling nationally. And that's quite a compliment because uh, and, yeah. and from the feedback that I've gotten from people in the media around the country, uh, over the over the past year, really, but certainly today, has been one of ultimate respect, ultimate respect for Jerry Sloan, and why wouldn't it be that way? Yep, totally right.